Hey, welcome to Dream Aloud with Kendra. It's a podcast for black women who want to live limitless lives. Be inspired by others who have dared to step outside of their comfort zone to live their hopes and dreams and passions. Now let's get started because life is way too short not to live the way that you want. I want to thank everybody for joining me today for the live stream portion of my Dream Aloud with Kendra podcast. And today for our series on second acts, I have the music lady. Her name is Mrs. Josandra Jones-James. And I love the title, the music lady. She said, that's what they call her there in St. Thomas. So next time I come to St. Thomas, I'm going to ask People who, do you know who the music lady is? I know her too. So I want to welcome you to this forum. Welcome you online. I'm glad that you accepted my offer. I know we had to go back and forth. You said, no, no, I'm not going to do it. But I think you have so much to give, so much inspiration for people who just want to follow their dreams that I had to have you on. So that's why I kept stalking you until you said yes. So I'm glad you said yes. And I want to welcome you to Dream Aloud with Kendra. Thank you. Good to see you, Kendra. I'm so glad that you said yes. So when I I was about to write your, um, your profile, the bios for so that everybody would know that you were coming on and, and what we we're going to talk about. There was so much. There was so much to write. I was like, okay, I'm just going to give a little highlight. And it still turned out to be a really long list. And we never even covered most of it. But, yeah. but when did you know that you were a musician? a the person that music was what you wanted to follow I was very young in fact 12 years old uh living in Mispa I had been taking lessons maybe three or four years by that time Mm -hmm. and Mr. Charles Mallory came to my parents and asked their uh, their permission for me to come and accompany the choir at St. John AME Church Okay. Uh, because they did not have a um, pianist at that time. So my parents agreed. And then a year later, Mr. Mallory stopped coming. And so I had to assume the position of the church musician and the choir director. Wait, so he was the choir director? Yes, Mr. Okay. Mallory. And you were there to play, just so yes. and them. And then, but he, then left. he left. <laughs> he, he left, left and left me to assume the, <laughs> you know, the responsibility of being the church musician as well as the choir director. And which, of course, that was the adult choir, which your father was in, by the way. <laughs> and here I was, then thirteen years old, and I was the um, choir director, which I loved doing. It was a little scary at first, but then I got accustomed to it. So you were 13. Yes. This is, this is one thing that I forgot to t- say. I did say in the bio that you are from my hometown, which 
I've learned from Reverend Wade to call the metropolis of Mispa because it is a wonderful town of families that know each other. And it, it's a real community of people who for generations have known one another and operate as a family. So as a 13 year old, you were the choir director. Yes, yeah, so the senior choir at that. <laughs> was it just the senior choir or did you, did you direct? There was only one choir, just the okay. senior and so yeah so so basically you had you got the experience before you even applied for the experience it was there yes. and you and you stepped up to the plate so yes. this series is, is entitled second act so at, at 13 you went from an accompany from an organist a pianist that accompanied the choir to being the director so you had a, a nice pivot the within the first year that's true doing the work so what did you learn there? Well, that prepared me so much. Uh, first of all, to how to interact with people that I have responsibility for teaching them and preparing them for the Sunday service. So it was a big job, but it taught me a lot. And it also made me realize that I enjoyed doing that. So at that age, I knew I wanted to be a choir director. So at 13, you already knew what you wanted to do for the rest of your life. Yes. Have you done anything else between the time you were 13 and music? Besides well, music? Did you I tried, but then I came back to music. I tried um, doing real estate at one point, but that I did, wasn't really interested in it. So I came back to music. Okay. Okay. So you have my book, the Lessons in Legacy book, and you were looking through it. Well, you read the whole thing. You bought the digital copy before you got the, the hard copy. So I, I appreciate your support. And then you called me and said, I think I'm on page 54. <laughs> Isn't that amazing that not only did, were you reading the book and reading about your hometown, but you're also in page 54. So I talk about in the book, the, um, the family homestead. And we always have a church that we go to. So St. John is our homestead church in New Jersey. And New Hope, you and me, is our mainstead, is our homestead church in Mackby. And you've been there too. Yes, as the choir director, the choir, of course, and the whole church was invited to go to South Carolina, to Mackby, South Carolina, to have the service there. And it was basically like a family reunion then because... So many of the members in the in the church are the family members as well. And so that's how I got to Mackey, South Carolina as a teenager. And I loved it. So what did you learn there? So that means you met my great grandmother. Why? I think so. I was very young. I met a lot of people there. I don't remember which person was which. Many people, right? There's so many people. But I tell you, the best thing for me at that time was the great food in South Carolina. They love food, right? Fantastic food, yes. Very good cooks. Yes, yes. So it was Sunday, so I'm, I'm guessing you probably had collard greens, mac and cheese, fried chicken, and rice, probably dirty rice. Oh, yes. And gravy. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Now, I've been, usually when we go, they would make chicken and dumplings, too, at the church. You're like, mm -hmm. you would be so full. <laughs> full course meal. Full course meal. Mm -hmm. 
because breaking bread is one of those um, traditions of the African culture. And we bought it north. And St. John is a lot like that as well. Absolutely. There's, there's the food, there's the fellowship, and you become family. That's true. So, you know, I, I just want to get into um, where did you go to college? Well, um, Glassboro State College, which is now Rowan. Rowan, that's right. I always yeah. try to remember that. Yeah, but when I went there in 1960, it was Glassboro State College. And you, did you graduate Oak Crest High School? Oh, no. Oak Crest was not built when I went to high school. I went to Vineland High School. We did not have a high school in, in that area at that time. However, after I finished and got my BA at Glassboro State, Oak Crest was built, and that was my first assignment. I started teaching at Oak Crest High School in 1964. So in 1964, you were a music teacher, instructor? Yes. yes, I was a choir director and music educator. And um, that was my first professional job. And of course, I had gotten very prepared after having three or four years with the church choir. That's cool. So you had training before you even got to high school. Did you do any, uh, any music in high school as well? Very much so. <laughs> I was very busy because... Uh, my music teacher in high school did not play piano. She was a, a voice major. Uh -huh. So once she found out that I had piano skills, she asked me to be the piano accompanist for the concert choir in high school. So for four years, I accompanied the concert choir in high school. And that too uh, prepared me quite a bit because she gave me quite a bit of responsibility, many times teaching the parts, the sopranos, the alto, the tenors, and the basses and then accompanying all the concerts. And uh, so when I graduated from there, I knew for sure that's what I really enjoyed doing. So I majored in music at Glassboro after high school. And you were a seasoned pro before you got to. to <laughs> Not quite, <laughs> had a lot to learn. So tell us about your, your teaching at, at Ocrest. In oh, I loved Ocrest. I have to say, that Ocrest was my best teaching Ooh, assignment. I'm a fellow Falcon, so. Yes, know. yes. Um, one reason too, it, it was such a beautiful facility. It was set up for music with a real choir room, a real band room, a beautiful auditorium. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just, just set up just perfectly. And um, also at that time, I say it was my best because at that time, the students were so respectful. When I would come into the classroom, the students would stand up and say, good morning, Miss Jones. Very, very respectful students. I never had any discipline problems with the students there. So this is the first that we have people that are joining us. So I'm going to, I'm going to mute them. See if Jean is here. And then you have a seven, then you have a 707 number. So I just muted them just to make sure that we can continue. Okay. A good friend of yours and, and you wanted to mute, you wanted her to join. So she's on listening. Hi. Oh, good. So for those of you who don't know, Jean Kearney is on. She's a friend of Josandra Jones. She's my best friend she's from elementary school. Friend. He's my best friend from elementary school. And 
not only is she your best friend, but she's my cousin. So I know. Everybody knows that my family is huge. So she's Jean McFarlane. Her maiden is McFarlane. And her parents are featured in my book as well. Um, I just can't separate the family and the community from, from my recollection of everything that's gone on. So I just wanted to, to um, invite her into the room and we can speak to her a little later as well. So how did you go from Oak Crest High School to Newark, New Jersey? Well, although Ocas was my best assignment and I was there for three years, I realized that the following year I probably would have been tenured. And I really wanted to continue with my graduate work. And living in South Jersey, uh, Glassboro did not have a graduate program at that time in music. So I had to get closer to the graduate program where I wanted to attend, which is Columbia University in New York. So, uh, at that time, I res <laughs> resigned from Ocas High School, like I said, although it was my best teaching assignment, and, um, and moved to North Jersey. I moved to North Jersey to Montclair. Mm -hmm. And that way I was much closer to Columbia University because I, had, I did my graduate work part-time while I was continuing to teach in North Jersey. So what do you say to people because some folks feel like they've arrived. You, you had a nice job at Ocrest. You liked it. Um, you could have stayed there forever. Was there a burning inside that says there's, there's more? I know there's more. Oh, yes. By the way, one of the burnings was I knew I wanted to go to Africa. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to study African music. So uh, I figured once I did my graduate work that... I would, you know, continue and then continue with uh, studying African studies mm -hmm. in Ghana. So that so, led me. So, so I just, I just want people to to understand. We, I get this all the time. You, you've done so much. You're doing so well. Why do you want to do something else? Why do you want to put yourself through this? But I feel like if you don't follow your dreams, if you don't follow your heart, then you spend your time thinking about what could have happened, what should have happened. So I, I don't want to be a part of the shoulda, coulda, woulda club. And it sounds like that you are not a part of that. So what do you say to someone who has a nice job and all of that? If they know, like you said, you knew you wanted to go to Africa. You wanted to, you wanted to study African studies. What do you say to that person who may be a little stuck because they're stuck in their comfort or they're afraid? Well, I would say they have to think about the fact that um, if they haven't followed their dreams later on, they'll have regrets. So I have no regrets. I have no regrets. And um, it was instilled in my heart about Africa from my father. My father was a Marcus Garvey advocate. And he always made all of us very conscious of the motherland. He talked about the motherland all the time. And he wanted to get there. He never got there, but uh, my two sisters and I have been there and I lived there. And my sister Barbara, who also did African studies at Columbia and my sister Marsha also, both of them have been able to get to Africa. 
and fulfill at least my father's dreams, although he was not able to get there. So let's talk about your sisters for just for a second. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Wheeler, your yes. oldest sister. That's correct. My dad had, he, he, they dated and that's his, that was his girlfriend all the time when she'd come up, she like, he like, hey, Barbara. That's right. Um, she went to a boarding school because she excelled in education and she, she went to Columbia, but she was a professor at Kane in New yes. Jersey, Kane University. And mm -hmm. she would have these chores to Cuba and to Africa to follow, they were African-American studies and they were following the tradition of Western African people. And I so wanted to go, but I, I think I was in high school and then I was a single mom and I was in college. So my funds were not such that I could go, but I would hang on her every word when she would come back to New Jersey, she would come to our community center and she was a board member on the Inland Human Services. That's it. And she would just tell us about history. And I'm a history buff, so I love history and I love stories. So I was saying, one day I'm going to go on these trips, but I finally made it to Cuba. But when I stepped on the soil, I thought about her and all that she taught. And so you told me that you, you went on a couple of her trips and she would tell you, um, step lively. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. That was always fun especially when we went to um, Ghana and Egypt. Mm -hmm. And um, there were 40 of us. I think, yeah, out of the 40, 10 of us were family members. And by the way, she said that was her most difficult trip when there was 10 of us family members family with her. Family members, because you don't listen? They weren't, we weren't listening always to her. So she'd have to really get loud about stepping lively and keeping it moving, keeping it moving on the tours. But we had a great time and they were educational, real educational trips. They were not, just for pleasure, but also educational. And of course, she is one of my great inspirations as well, because she, as I said, did international studies, African studies at Columbia University first. And then I followed her and went to Columbia as well. In fact, we lived together at Columbia after I left New Jersey. I stayed with her for a while as well. And um, that was a great experience because we got to uh, bond a little bit more because she was a little older than I was. So she had gotten married and away. So once we lived together at Columbia, we got to know each other much better and we traveled a lot. And in fact, one of the reasons um, I had the uh, experience of uh, knowing people when I went to Ghana is because my sister was very much involved with the United Nations um, meetings and this kind of thing. And we went to a cocktail party, United Nations, and there I met some African musicians who were playing the music at that time. And one of the musicians was the father, no, I'm sorry, was the, was the brother of wow. the family I went to in Ghana. Because when I told him that I planned to go to Ghana, he gave me a letter and of course gifts for his family. So that was my opening to get to go to Ghana. And it's always good to know someone where you go. So you stayed with his family when you moved to Ghana? Not really. I stayed on campus at the University of Ghana. However, every weekend, every weekend I'd be with them and on holidays, I would stay with them as well. But um, no, I was really on the campus at the university. But you had a family that set you up before Very you- Very much so. And that's so important in um, the African culture to be introduced by 
a family because it's kind of a closed traditional society. So when you know someone and they introduce you, you, you have a much better you know, uh, time and much better opportunity to really know the culture because we, I mean, they took me everywhere. You know, well, actually, I was doing my research there anyhow. So I visited churches, I interviewed musicians, I went to schools and did interview. I was marching around with my tape recorder and my camera. And uh, but the fact that I was introduced by this Ghanaian family that really helped. So, how long did you stay there? I was there for one year. I planned to stay another year, but my father had passed away the first year I was there. So I came back. So I, I didn't finish my doctoral studies uh, there, but I had gotten so much that I was able to come back and still share what I had in terms of the um, information that I'd gotten in terms of studying the, um, the history, the culture, the dance and the music. So let's talk about that. So I'm a griot, I love the storytelling, but griots also include poets, and musicians and dancers. Mm -hmm. so I believe you to be a griot. We didn't talk about that, but I believe you to be a griot. And you said you walked around with your tape recorder and I'm sure you, you wrote about the music and the culture. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Well, when I went, I had written a grant. Um, well, I was at Columbia at, the same, at that time as a graduate student. And to make my case that I needed to go to Ghana to continue studying, I'd written a grant um, that emphasized the fact that I wanted to know more about the African culture and specifically, specifically Ghana, because I had read a book by Professor Nkatia, who was an African musicologist. So many of the books that I was reading were written by Europeans who had a different kind of perspective on the culture. Whereas when I found this book by Professor uh, Kwabina um, Inkatia, that really encouraged me. And so I wrote him and told him, you know, that I was very interested in coming there. And then I wrote a grant of which I got the money to go. Actually it wasn't a lot of money. It was just $2,000 at that time. Mm -hmm. But interesting enough that $2,000 because <clears throat> in Ghana, with the exchange rate, I was able to live on that for the whole year. That's awesome. <laughs> with the exchange rate that they had there at that and time. Well, all of that culture, the information, the things that you learned back here. Yes, I did. And I continued teaching uh, about African music in the schools. Uh, one of the reasons, as I said, I wanted to do that because I, I have to say I was kind of deprived of that. Uh, throughout my education was all European, only classical music from the time I was in elementary school to graduate school, only European music. Even one time we had a course called World Music, but it had nothing in it about Caribbean music, nothing about African music. And I said, no, this, I need to change that. So I wrote a curriculum. In fact, when I taught at Essex County College, I taught a class on, uh, actually I wrote a course and taught a class called The Black Experience in Music. That was in 1972, 73, 73, 74, I guess. And also started the first gospel choir at Essex County College. Oh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
when we think about Africa being the, the cradle of civilization, all music comes from right there. Absolutely. The roots, the roots are right there. You can find it in Caribbean music. You can absolutely find you find it everywhere. And the fact that it had been erased is amazing, number one. Number two, how do we make sure that we bring that all back into everything that we do? Because music, music is a soundtrack of our lives, right? Absolutely. And music soothes the soul. It is universal to everyone. How do we make sure that, I, I don't even know that we need to make sure of it. Maybe it's just that we take pride in our music and ensure that our children know that. The whole, my whole thing is about legacy and knowing who you are and whose you are and all of the great things that have come from your culture, no matter who you are. But as Africans, and those of African descent, I find it quite disheartening that in 1970, there was nothing here in the US that pointed that back. And you wrote a curriculum. Are people still using that curriculum? Yes. And of course, uh, things have changed because don't forget the amount of demonstrations there were in terms of Black studies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so that made a big difference. That made a big difference, the amount of um, uh, demonstrations that students had and said they want to have more Black studies so that they would be included in the curriculum. But as I said, I didn't have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And even when I was in uh, undergrad school, I mean, <laughs> I don't remember even us singing any spirituals, let alone gospel. Not the, not the spirituals. No. No, it was only Renaissance music, classical, 18th century, 19th century romantic, uh, maybe a little 20th century. But um, thank God for my church experience and also um, for the experiences that I had in terms of the, um, uh, well, the church as well as in school, because in high school we did some spirituals, but in college I don't remember any singing any spirituals actually. But um, Teaching in, uh, at Essex County College, that, that course, as I said, I used the information that I had mm -hmm. um, applied in, in, in Ghana to be able to start that course of Black history um, of music, you know, and of course, the roots being from Africa. Awesome. So I'm, I want to go to St. Thomas, where you've been for a long time. And this is kind of where I remember you coming back home and sharing your music at church yes. when you would come to visit. But I wanna to touch on just one thing. I know Marsha's watching, I saw she, she was on there. She said she's so glad to be watching her miss my family. But she got married. I don't even remember what year it was, but she got married at First Baptist Church. And that was the first Afrocentric um, wedding that I had seen. 1980, 1980. You the music? I don't remember the music. I just remember there were breaks. I did. I did the music. You did the music? Yes. And so, so where, did you, where did you start in planning the music for her wedding? It wasn't African music, but it was R&B. Mm -hmm. 
It was R and B. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But where did you start? It, it, you just did her. Um... Well, what happened was her husband uh, requested certain songs, mm-hmm. and so I went with that, the R and B. Because I don't remember, like I remember they had braids, and they were wearing some African garb, and there yeah. were African traditions. So I, yeah. let me just see if if the music wasn't because I was if it was 1980 I was 10 but I do remember that and and I was saying you know at some point I'm going to go to an African wedding like that was my the closest I'd gotten to and so I've been watching all these Nigerian weddings I was like they have a party among parties so I think I saw Ilamosi on here so she you know her father is is the Nigerian chief so a couple years ago I was invited to her wedding so I got the opportunity to actually be a part and I was like thank you for letting me check off one of my my um things on my bucket list so that was that was awesome so I just wanted to make sure that I covered that so and like you said your father instilled that in all of you and you carried that out yes mm-hmm. so let's go on back to your next pivot so after Ghana you came back to the U.S. what happened after that well that's when I started teaching at Essex County College mm-hmm. uh, and sharing the music you know, the African music there yes and actually um, before coming to St. Thomas I lived in uh, California in San Diego and that too was an interesting experience because I was teaching part-time and um, part-time at San Diego State College and part-time San Diego City College. And I was hired by the California Council of the Arts to do assembly programs in which I would go into the classrooms, well, actually in the auditorium and they'd bring children in and I would teach them African songs and dances and about African culture. And it's interesting that year in San Diego, they they actually laid off a lot of the music teachers. That was around that time that they were having, you know, financial difficulty, laid off physical ed teachers, music teachers, art teachers. And since I had a specialty in African music, I was hired to do the um, assembly programs. Mm -hmm. So I did that, you know, for about a year. Uh, for, uh, as hired by the California Council of the Arts because they tried to make that at least something that the children would have other than having music in, in, in the classrooms. Going back to, to the wedding for a second, Maddie Walker Wadsworth says she was in it. She was in the wedding. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So Then from California, that's when I moved here to St. Thomas. Okay. So from California. Yes. So how did... What prompted the move from from California to St. Thomas? Um, My best girlfriend from graduate school uh, is from the Virgin Islands. And she was living here. Well, we we met in graduate school, you know, in New York. However, she was now back in St. Thomas and she encouraged me to move here. Although I had visited the Virgin Islands about six times Yes. before I moved here. I started visiting Virgin Islands in 1970. Okay. And I moved here in 1982. Okay. I, I came to St. Thomas for a sorority um, event. It was the Eastern Region tour and we went all over. And I don't know why, I think you were in the States because this was like 19, 
it might have been 2000 somewhere in there that you were visiting the states because it was oh yes every year i would come to of course to visit my family yeah so mm-hmm. you weren't around but um um like as i asked you did you know uh, my soror mary harley and you said you know her well so they oh very well yeah she's in her. one of the choirs the church choirs that i've done uh, consultant work with since so after i retired i did consulting work with Moravian Church, Lutheran Church, and various churches I do consulting work with their choirs. And she as our in the choir. director. And mm-hmm. um, we we I can't I think we were at the at the governor's house. I can't remember, but they it, there was a dinner there and there were some some um, musicians. They were young and I wonder mm-hmm. if they knew you. But there were so many people that I didn't get a chance to ask. So you you have some comments here. So Ronnie Wheeler says she said you did research. You research original African music for her wedding on the Nile. Oh yes, yes, yes. When we went to Egypt, so when we went to Egypt, I forgot about that. Yeah, because she she was married on the Nile. Yeah, we were on the ship. That's true. So I've I've done I've done the Nile cruise too. I recommend it for everyone. Mm-hmm. How, how many times have you have you done the Nile? Oh, I just did it once. Just once. I just had one. Un, unlike my sister Barbara, <laughs> who <laughs> took her students on on tour and probably probably 14, 15 times because that was kind of tradition. She would take them to Egypt and Ghana and what have you. But again, uh, during that time, I was very much into my teaching and so many responsibilities. I couldn't always travel when she traveled. So, so one thing I want to ask you about, so we went to Aswan, that's where the Nubians live, mm-hmm. riding down the Nile on their, their taxi to their village. And the music is the same, the drum is the same, but they were clapping on one and three and we clap on two and four. On yes. West Africa, do they clap on one and three as well? No, no. No, 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 no. West Africa, you would hear two and four. And that's yeah. where we get that from. Right, right, right. I think with the Egyptian, their their influence is quite different. Right. Quite different from the West West okay. Africa. Yes. I noticed that right away. Like, oh wait, they're clapping on one and three, but the rhythm was still the same. The Yeah. The one and three is more European. Okay. Okay. Yeah, actually, the one and three is more European. The primary beats. Um, African um, rhythms are on the two and four secondary beats. Okay. So let's get back to St. Thomas. You've been there for how long now? 39 years. And how many places have you taught? Oh, my. (laughs) When I first moved here, I was interested in opening my own school. And I eventually, I eventually I did. But uh, the first year I didn't know a lot of people. So, you know, I had to build up clientele. So I taught in the elementary school first, uh, Emmanuel Benjamin um, uh, School. And then I taught Ivan Eudoric in high school most of the years, 20 years, and retired from there. And then I taught at the University of Virgin Islands for 17 years, part-time, part-time before retiring uh, two years ago, three years ago now. 2018, I retired from the Virgin Islands, uh, U- University of Virgin Islands. 
Incredible. But throughout that, I had my own studio, Jones School of Music. I had from 1983 uh, until 2003, where I taught voice and piano. Okay, so you teach voice and piano. Do you still do you still teach? Not now. Not now. I, so when you now, retired, you retired. That, well, 54 years of teaching, that's professional teaching. Mm -hmm. And if I count the years I, when I started at St. John AME, <laughs> that, would be, that would be too many years. So uh, I'm fully retired now. So, so what do you do for fun now? I play tennis, I'm swimming, and my husband and I are just enjoying retirement. He's enjoying hearing my piano playing. And, and uh, we do our walking. Um, but the main thing is taking care of my health. Yeah. Both of us concerned to make sure we take care of health. And sometimes that becomes a full-time job. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah. I really understand. But that, that is your life. And just what you just told us is a perfect example of there are no coincidences. That was that prodding at 12 to come and accompany the choir. Then Mr. Mallory is gone and you become the choir director at 13. Mm -hmm. With confidence, you stepped up and decided to do it. There are so many people who would say, I'm not qualified or I don't have the time or I don't know how to do this instead of just figuring it out. So that's one of the reasons I chased you down because <laughs> I, I want people to be inspired and encouraged to step out and do what you know to do. The rest will come. If you, you, can't, you don't always have to see the whole picture, but just go in the direction of where your heart leads you. And if it turns out that it's not something that you want to do, you can always make a pivot and move on. And so you, you, you just kept pivoting and you pivot. So, so what's your advice to someone who may be scared to step out or someone who, who like you, may be younger than the people that they need to lead? What do you, what do you, what are you, what is your advice or your, your words of wisdom to them? I would say uh, continue to follow your dream, pray about it and by all means, prepare yourself. That's so important because it is important to feel confident as to what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. So that's why I continue to pursue my education so that wherever I traveled, I knew I would be able to handle that assignment. Yes. And so I'm trying to think of the, the quote because you know I love quotes. Is that being pre where prepared and opportunity meet Mm -hmm. that's where you have success. So you have to be prepared. So if there's something that you want to do, that you love to do, study it. Learn some stuff because anybody could have said, I want to be the choir director, but if they can't play, then, then you know, how can you do that? So you need to follow some of your dreams, follow, follow some of the things and then you'll find out what you're good at and what you're not good at. And then you can move forward. So um, Patty Nelson Sample says, hi, Joe. Oh, hi, Patty. So, hi, Ma hi, Ronnie. 
We have Ronnie and Marvella, Maddie, Marsha, Linda Gatling. She oh, said, hi, Linda. Wonderful. And we have lots of people watching. They're 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 interested. So does anybody have any questions? She's here to answer. Follow your dreams. But I always ask the same question of each of my guests. And so there's two, but the first one that I ask is, um, what's your favorite quote? Hmm. Hmm. Well, my favorite explains my life in which if I can help somebody along the way, I feel so good because that has been my joy to see how my students have, have developed and really done so well. So that's always been in my heart to always help people. And uh, that's what I've continued to do throughout my life. So because you're the music lady, I was gonna ask you what your favorite song is. But the minute you said, if I can help somebody, I know that's a, a, a spiritual, it's a, it's a hymn. Well, one of my favorites, of course, is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. And so why is that your favorite? Well, when I realized, I, I loved it all the while, but when I realized it was an African song, then I realized why I related to it so much. It, because it's built on the pentatonic scale. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has the pathos and the melancholy uh, pathos of the African uh, idiom. And... Um, so that's why I, I, when I, you can really feel it at that song so well. Tell us about the pentatonic scale. So the pentatonic scale is a five note scale that's uh, typical in the traditional African culture. Whereas the European culture is diatonic scale, which is a seven note scale. Mm -hmm. And that's why we know tracing the history, although the slave uh, captain actually put it to pen uh, the music was coming from the slaves. So he heard and it. Sing, he heard them singing it. Heard them and then, of course, he put those words to it. But in terms of the, the uh, music and the beautiful uh, melody that you heard there, that was African. See, and that's where I, where I was going to know. He wrote it, but the words, but the music came from the hall. Of that's the right. Ship. That's right. Sailing on. Mm -hmm. And that music made him turn himself around. Yes, he did. Mm -hmm. The power of music got to his conscience. Mm -hmm. They didn't even speak his language. But he felt it. But he felt it. But because it's very spiritual. And that's what I found also with my uh, research, that the African music, uh, first of all, is very functional. And... It, it, it's very spiritual, it touches your heart, okay? Um, you can hear in the music a certain pathos that, 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 that touches you to the point that you know that even if you don't know the language. I taught my students uh, here in, uh, at Eudora Ken the African National Anthem. And when they sing that song, although they sing it in Zulu, you would think they are South African because they feel that song, they feel it. And um, even before they knew what the translation was, uh, they had gotten into the song. So 
much. In fact, I'll tell you a story. I don't know whether you have time. We have time. We have time. Oh, okay. I'll tell you a story about that. Um, one of my students who, well, actually in the first class that I had taught that too, uh, in the 80s, I think when I was here, uh, when that student was in the 80s, was a, a dancer. And um, when he learned the song, well, let me just say this. He, he was a professional dancer and he ended up on Broadway uh, uh, performing in The Lion King. In fact, that's how I got to see the original Lion King because one of my former students, Larry, I'm sorry, Gary Lewis was in the, the Lion King, the original. Awesome. So when he auditioned for that role, he had to sing, he had to act, and of course he had to dance and that dancing was his forte. But the only song he could remember from school was Kosi Sikaleli. And when he sang the Kosi Sikaleli in Zulu, um, there were many South Africans, you know, in that play. And they were really surprised at, <laughs> at his diction. And they'd all said, where'd you learn that? He said, from my music teacher in St. Thomas. <laughs> and so he got over on his singing Kosi Sikaleli. But of course his dancing was superb because that's what he did, you know. But, um, and later on, like I said, it was such a wonderful thing because when I went to um, visit my sister Barbara that particular year, and I told her, I said, oh yeah, we're, we're gonna go see um, The Lion King. She said, well, how can you have tickets to The Lion King? And I've been here and I can't get tickets. I said, well, because one of my students is in it. <laughs> so it's good to raise up others. Yes. They come back and they remember you. Absolutely. So I, I, I'm just thinking if you didn't follow your path, then all of those lives that you touch may not have been touched. So we want to make sure that we follow our hearts, follow your gifts and talents. They always lead to your purpose and your passion. So Ronnie has something else. She said she wanted you to talk about your performance at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> That was a comical occasion. Your own horn, I don't know. Yeah. That's that's one of our things. I know, I know we've been raised in humility, but we need to know the greatness that is around us so that we well, can ask questions now. Okay. While I was at Columbia, I joined a I was auditioned to join a professional choir, meaning that I was paid to sing in that particular choir, not as a soloist, but a choir member. And uh, one of the performances was at Carnegie Hall. And um, I'm trying to remember, I, I don't remember what years, some, I think it was in the 70s, 70s, 60s, 70s. And we had a rehearsal at Carnegie Hall in the morning. And then um, when the rehearsal was over, I think we had the rehearsal like from 10 to 12. And the program was not to start until like two. Well, I didn't take my concert clothes with me because at that time I was staying downtown. So I said, okay, I'll be able to go back downtown, you know, close to town and, and change clothes. Well, it was a difficult situation because the traffic was such that it really impeded me getting back in time. Mm -hmm. So I'm in my car coming back and now in my car radio, I'm hearing, now from Carnegie Hall, the Burn Camp Corral, 
performing. I said, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, that was quite an experience because by the time I got back, they were on the stage, but then I went on for the intermission. Okay, so you did make it. <laughs> I made it for the, the second part, yes, yes. So you, you, you have played Carnegie Hall, even though you missed the first half. Yeah, I missed the first half. <laughs> so, you know, you have to stay ready. That's another thing. We want to stay ready. So if we stay ready, you don't have to get ready. So that's right. That's right. Lesson. Um, I just had some notes and I wanted to make sure that I, that I got everything. Um, teaching children. So there's a couple of things. My cousin is writing, her, her daughter needs a teacher. Uh, how do you, how do you find a teacher? How do you find a compatible teacher? Or do they need to? Do you just expose your children to music? Um, I understand that children who play instruments um, do better in school and on tests and perform well, perform well in school because they, they play an instrument or they're interested in music. Um, how do you get your children involved? Because I'm sure everybody's not a musician, but there's a part to play. So how do you, at what age do you start you exposing them and, and find their talent if they have any? Well, it, it, as early as possible, maybe three or four years old. And it depends on the instrument. Some, some instruments are not compatible for very young children, but uh, um, for piano, uh, three or four years old, if they can sit still on the piano stool, you know, say, uh, that's, that's a good age. But I think parents should actually interview the teacher and ask the teacher some questions before they put their child in with the particular teacher. Because I have had students that came to me later. No, let me just say this. I've had adults who have come to me later saying they were turned off for music by their teacher. Mm -hmm when they were young. So, and they thought that they could not do music because how the teacher uh, kind of bullied them and made them feel like they were not able. So I think uh, parents need to at least make sure they interview the teacher or even sit in on a lesson to see how that teacher teaches and see the personality because all students uh, are not compatible with all teachers, especially music. So you have to be careful of that. But the earlier, the better, earlier, the better. I would say, you know, three or four years old. Uh, my father was my first teacher. He was very much into piano. He didn't play that well, but he, he loved the piano and, and he got the, my first piano. And then my mother got a brand new piano for me when I was 15. I was so proud of that piano. And I still have that piano. It's at Marsha's house right now in Maryland. <laughs> and uh, that piano is, it sounds great. I had it um, redone over and everything. It really sounds great. So we're gonna always keep that in the family. However, um, my first uh, formal lessons, I think was mm, when I was seven or eight years old. And um, it was um, a Caucasian woman in violin. In fact, that's how uh, I probably was asked to play the piano at, at St. John's because I don't think any other child in, in Miss was taking piano lessons in violin. Yeah. But my mother made sure I took piano lessons uh, in violin. And this was one of the um, jobs that she had. My, my mother had many, many jobs, but she 
although she was a beautician and had only beauty shop and everything, she also did housework. And then that housework was for this particular music teacher. Okay. So she was able to get music lessons for me. And interesting enough, again, I was only, I guess, two African-American students that she had. The rest are the other 30, 40 were Caucasian students. And um, many times she didn't make me feel bad or anything, but I could tell she many times uh, was trying to, she used to ask me a lot of questions. <laughs> I think because she was trying to find out more about black people. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought that she wasted time sometimes questioning me when she wasn't supposed to give me any lessons. <laughs> I get it. Okay. I, but it, that was my first teacher, my first uh, professional teacher, and she was very good. She was very good. Okay, so you just need to shop around and yes. make sure that there's compatibility between the, the student and the teacher. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I don't see any more questions or comments. We have a lot of comments to go through after this, and you can go through and um, answer any that may not have gotten answered at this at the time that we were shooting live. But I always ask my um, my guests, but I want to stop for a minute. Go back to if I can help somebody. So that is that is a um, that is a hymn slash spiritual that people sing all the time, and I think of Saint John every time somebody speaks of that song because Mr. Lundy used to sing it all the time, and so Mr. Lundy was a pillar in our community as well as a member of Saint John. So, do you remember him singing that song? Oh, of course, of course, sure. And he'd get excited. And then yes. he start crying, but he actually lived it too. And That's so true. the other thing that I've noticed about Black music, well, the spirituals and the gospel music, sometimes it has the same, it's the same song with different words. Is that because they didn't read music and they just put new words to it? I know that there's certain songs that has the same melody and everything, and they just change that. Is that something that I'm just picking up or? or... No, that's that's typical. In other words, don't forget with um, music of music of African descent, you have improvisation, and mm -hmm. you continue to create. You to continue to create. That's the essence of all folk music. That it's it's it's. Um, ongoing and people add to it all the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's typical. And of course, the call and response is typical as well as uh, body percussion. Um, uh, music of African descent, you, 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 you clap your hands, pat your foot, you know, uh, also the lips. I remember the uh, quartets, the male quartets who used to come to our churches, they use their lips for percussion. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether you've seen that before. Mm -hmm. They use the lips in a percussion. And so all of that is um, creation, improvisation, continue to improvise things. And I see that in country music all the time. Well, that's, a, that's also another style of folk. It's really gospel to me. 
Well, there's some elements of African retentions in that as well. That's Element retentions, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the nasal tone, the nasal tone, um, that tonality also is, uh, is typical as well. Uh, you have what you call the, um, uh, let me see if I can explain that, uh, I'm not getting too, too involved. Uh, the straight tone versus the vibrato. And the more vibrato in your voice, it will create more emotion, more oh. emotion, okay? The first time I tried out for the concert choir at Glasper State, I didn't make it because I didn't know about straight tone. Okay. I had to change the vibrato in my voice because that choir director did not want that vibrato, especially singing Renaissance music. <laughs> and also uh, Gregorian chant, those kinds of things. You have to have a straight tone. You hear so, a lot about that when people, um, are auditioning for Broadway. Yes. They have yes. to learn to tone it down. That's since good. Getting, since we're getting to the end, I've asked Aunt Jean to turn her video on if she wants and her audio. She turned her audio on, but I don't think we're going to get her on camera. But while we're, we're seeing if she's going to join us, I always ask all of my guests this last question. And it's simply on whose shoulders do you stand? My parents, my parents and my sister, Barbara. I was very much influenced by my father because like I said, my father um, was a Marcus Gaviite, which means that he was always talking about going back to Africa. So he made us very conscious of our African heritage. And my mother was a devout Christian who instilled in me the love of God. My sister Barbara also continued to be a uh, role model for me because again, she continued studying uh, and did her doctorate in Africana studies at Columbia University. And so I was always trying to see how I could fit my music into the consciousness in terms of African uh, heritage. And that's why I went to Ghana because the inspiration of my father, the love of my mother, and also inspiration of my sister, Barbara. And we thank you for carrying that on. You always have lovely African garb. You infuse that into everything that you do. And so I'm gonna thank you for the culture. If no one else has, I'm sure they have, but I thank you for the culture. And Jean, you have anything to say? I'm putting you on the spot. We know your microphone is hot. We've been friends since third, fourth grade. Yes, we have. <laughs> She's always been the one to pursue education. I pursued a career in the post office and retired from that. But we have always remained best friends. That's awesome. And so I want to be like both of you and retire and still have a good time because you guys are living it up, doing what you what you, you did, what you had to do so that you can do what you want to do. And I've watched you both enjoy life throughout 
the time that you were working and and doing what you love and so that's what this 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 um podcast and live stream is about the podcast is entitled dream aloud with kendra because i want to see people dream and live out loud the things that you are supposed to do your purpose I want to see people walk it out with passion. And so the two of you are an awesome example that you walked in your purpose with passion and enjoyed life. You didn't wait to when I get here, when I do this. You enjoyed throughout and you made the adjustments and the changes that you needed to make to enjoy your life as you were working through it. So I want to, I always tell people, don't wait, whatever it is, whatever your passion is, follow it. You can do more than one thing. And so go out and follow your passion. If you have a a propensity to do some things, if you have gifts and talents, try them out. That doesn't have, that doesn't mean that you have to make a living at it, but at least do it. So does anyone else have any questions so Ronnie, Ronnie Wheeler says, Jean and Wesley, all my love. So she's sending her love to you guys. Um, just seems like everybody's watching. They're sending hearts and, and likes. And so I want to thank you for accepting my invitation to do this interview. It was awesome. Um, Actually, Ronnie encouraged me because I mentioned to her that you wanted me to come on. And I said, well, why would she want me on? She usually has on young women who are pursuing, you know, entrepreneurial <laughs> things. I said, I'm retired. I'm, I'm not pursuing any business right now. And then what did I tell you? You said, I'm retired twice. And I said, so those were at least two pivots. But you started at 13. True. You were a company in a choir. Then you became the director. And you could have said, no, I don't want to do it. But you follow that. And that sets you up for the next thing. And that sets you up for the next thing. So you were already prepared before you got to the next place that you needed to be. So you already knew how to play the piano. So then you were able to accompany the choir. Somebody leaves. You decide, I'm already a leader. And you decide to slip into that. And then you took those leadership skills and all that you had and got your first degree. You realized that there was something missing because your father had instilled the culture into you and you knew who you were and you knew of the greatness of African people. So with that, you were able to hone that skill and decide that I need to go to Ghana and figure out what's in this for my people and how can I weave this story into the music that I share with other people and we're all the more better and so I was trying not to cry during the the um, amazing grace story because that is where I come in I, I do everything at the intersection of culture community and technology so whenever something hits me I'm just like oh goodness but it was really the the song in the hull of the ship changed the man's heart. That's true. The music that you share. And that's why we need to be careful. The word says to be careful what goes in your eyes and your ears, because that what settles in your heart. And your heart. So 
when that's why when when folks go to church or wherever they go and the music hits you and you can't sit still it it's a spiritual thing it's an awesome thing and it started right there in in the cradle of civilization so linda gatlin says thank you so much for interviewing such a musical legacy she loves you joe uh, friend forever hi linda anila mosi says thank you and joe for your dedication and legacy thank you anila mosi and so that you know that's my thing tell the story and keep the legacy and the fire going and so i'm a griot i tell stories and i want to make sure that the legacy of our story of legacy is continued and you've been doing the work and i thank you so ronnie says both of you are phenomenal women and so i thank you ronnie we know that she is awesomely phenomenal and and i'm going to say thank you for me too because i plan to just continue to step into that and so that's what dream aloud is for the second act is really an encouragement for women to dare to pivot and to live work and play their way and i always interview the phenomenal women and i didn't have to go far because they're all around me so we're always looking way out to look at people that you don't know, but the heroes that you that are right around you, you need to interview them. You need to ask questions because our lives are so much richer just because you have people who can give you the answers right here, right around you. Thank you everyone for joining us. Have a great day. Thank you, you too. Thank you for listening to Dream Aloud with Kendra. If you like the show, leave a review and tell a friend. I also invite you to join our Dream Aloud Facebook group, where we encourage and challenge our members to step outside of their comfort zone and live limitless lives. I guarantee you, you will experience true fulfillment when you live, work, and play your way.